Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a judge has decided that a lawsuit filed by donors to Ravi Zacharias International Ministries can go forward. If the donors succeed in getting their money back, it could set a landmark precedent. We'll also look at the story of a sexual abuse victim confronting her alleged accuser during the Sunday service at the church. A video of that event has gone viral. We begin today with the biggest religion story of the week, and one that will likely be among the biggest of the year. That story is the release by the Southern Baptist Convention of a nearly 300-page report on sexual abuse in the denomination. We'll look at the story from multiple angles today. Yeah, you know, for decades, a handful of leaders in the nation's largest Protestant denomination apparently treated sexual abuse survivors as enemies of the church, denied responsibility for the actions of local churches, and downplayed the number of sexual abuse cases in those churches, all in the name of protecting the institution. These are among the findings of a report released on Sunday, May 22nd. The report, conducted by a third-party investigation firm, Guidepost Solutions, was made public by the Southern Baptist Convention's Sex Abuse Task Force. And it reveals a callous disregard for abuse survivors and a relentless commitment to protect the denomination from liability. Guidepost Solutions found that SBC leaders were well aware of abuse cases in the church and even compiled a list of offenders, but took no steps to find out if alleged abusers remained in ministry instead of they focused on protecting the SBC from liability. The report also detailed graphic allegations of sexual assault by former SBC president and longtime megachurch pastor Johnny Hunt. Yeah, the investigators determined that these allegations were credible despite Johnny Hunt's denials. Hunt issued a separate denial of the allegations on Sunday afternoon, immediately after the report was released. The report also accuses SBC leaders of taking concrete and intentional steps to hide information about sexual abuse from trustees in the SBC's executive committee, which oversees the ministries of the denomination. Warren, there's so much in this report, nearly 300 pages. We've given some of the highlights, but there's a lot more here to unpack. Yeah, that's right. So rather than unpack the entire 300 pages, let me just say a couple of things that I think are important for uh, folks to note. First of all, you can read the entire report for yourself. It's on the Ministry Watch website. And if you are a Southern Baptist pastor or a staff member or a deacon or any other kind of leader in the SBC, I strongly recommend it. This is a report that all Southern Baptists and even all evangelicals need to face up to. It's tough reading in places, but it's the sort of thing that we dare not look away from. And secondly, I think it's important to note that if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not a Southern Baptist, so this doesn't concern me, then I would respectfully say you are dead wrong. That's Bad theology, for one thing. It ignores that we are all a part of the body of Christ. But on a purely pragmatic level, this report is a warning shot uh, for everyone in church and ministry leadership. We are now 
all officially on notice. If you're a church leader and you are not taking proactive steps to put abuse policies in place or to review the ones that you already have, I think that means you don't really understand the importance of this moment. That's really helpful advice, Warren. Now, about this story, do you think it's over? Well, I don't think so. Not by a long shot, in fact. Within the Southern Baptist Convention, which I grew up in, I should add, there's an old and somewhat cynical joke about the denomination's leadership's often said at their annual meetings, and it goes like this, when all is said and done, a lot more was said than done. So are you saying that this report is all talk? Well, no. In fact, I think this report may end up being a defining moment for the SBC, as I've already suggested, but only if the leaders of the denomination now act. I see signs that they are acting. In fact, just the release of this report alone was a long journey, and we've got some stories about that journey on our website as well that I think are pretty fascinating. But it's going to be hard uh, to take some of the actions that are recommended. The report highlighted some issues that are not merely the result of systems and structures, though there were plenty of those. The report talked about the overall culture of the SBC, and that's going to be hard to change and take time. You know, there's a, a business guru that many of our listeners may have heard of. His name is Peter Drucker, and he once said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Changing the culture of an organization is much harder than merely changing policies, procedures, rules, and strategy. It might mean the hastening of the retirement of an entire generation of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, Warren, we're on the verge of doing something we've rarely done on the podcast, and that's to devote the entire first segment to a single story. So before we leave this story and take a break, do you have anything else to add? Well, yeah, I do. Just a couple of quick things. Um, I want to add that in the past two and a half years, Ministry Watch has done about 150 stories that have at least some mention of the Southern Baptist Convention. Many of those stories were written by Bob Smetania of Religion News Service, who we partner with here at Ministry Watch. So uh, I would really like to recommend that if you're new to the podcast, especially if you're new to Ministry Watch, just type Southern Baptist Convention into the search engine and pull up those stories, and I think it will give you a very robust picture of what's going on in the SBC and of our coverage. I would also like to add that the Houston Chronicle's massive investigative story on the Texas Southern Baptist broke this story wide open a couple of years ago. I mentioned that to say this, hard-nosed independent journalism was absolutely essential to getting this story out into the public. Given what we now know about the SBC, I really don't think that we would be seeing the transparency and accountability that we are now finally seeing without these independent news sources, including, of course, Ministry Watch. I know that sounds a little like shameless self-promotion to say it, but I also think it happens to be true. Well, we need to take a break, but when we return, a new development in the story about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Our next story is about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Yeah, donors to the late evangelist Ravi Zacharias ministry can continue to pursue a lawsuit to recover their money on the grounds of misuse of funds, but not on faith-based allegations. That, according to a Georgia federal district court. Senior Judge Thomas Thrash of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Georgia made the ruling in a case called Carrier versus Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. After Ravi Zacharias's widow, Ravi Zacharias uh, International Ministries and RZIM Productions filed a motion to dismiss. The court said it was not prepared to make inherently ecclesiastical determinations, such as whether Ravi Zacharias was biblically disqualified to lead a ministry. Yeah, but the court did say that the plaintiff's misuse of funds allegations, uh, while it doesn't pose a First Amendment concern, does raise a secular, factual question of whether the defendant solicited funds for Christian evangelism, but instead used those funds to perpetuate and cover up sexual abuse, which is what the uh, lawsuit alleges. As part of the judge's action, Margaret Zacharias was removed as a defendant. Ravi Zacharias died of cancer in 2020. Yeah, the plaintiffs allege in the suit that RZIM took hundreds of millions of dollars in donations from contributors who, and this is the words of the suit, believed RZIM and Zacharias to be faith-filled Christian leaders, end quote. But in fact, Ravi Zacharias was, and again, this is a quote from the lawsuit, a prolific sexual predator who used his ministry and RZIM funds to perpetuate sexual and spiritual abuse against women. The complaint is a class action suit covering donors who gave to Zacharias or RZIM between 2004 and 2021. It is based on the findings of a 2021 report commissioned by RZIM that detailed a pattern of sexual abuse by Ravi Zacharias, including abuse that took place in a spa that he co-owned. Among donors were Derek and Dora Carrier, who live in Nevada, the named plaintiffs in the lawsuit. Uh, they gave $30,000 to RZIM in 2020. Derek Carrier is a name that may be familiar to some of our listeners. He's a tight end for the NFL's Las Vegas Raiders. In February of 2021, RZIM announced that it would no longer accept donations, but an organization founded by some of the former leaders of RZIM is back in business. It's not clear if they have transferred the assets of RZIM to the new ministry or not. Or in our next story is one that seems to have captured a cultural moment. It's the story of a pastor who is confronted publicly by a woman he allegedly sexually assaulted. 
Yeah, the Indiana pastor uh, has stepped down from the pastorate after his admission from the pulpit that he had had an adulterous relationship years ago. And that, in fact, led to this confrontation that you're talking about, Natasha. The pastor's name is John Lowe. He's the pastor of New Life Christian Church in Warsaw, Indiana. He told his congregation on May 22nd that he had committed adultery with one person 20 years earlier, that it had gone on for far too long. That's obviously very troubling news, but we've seen the stories like this before. What makes this one different? Well, in this case, Lowe apologized for his actions in front of the church and asked the congregation to forgive him for the deep wound, his words, that he had called. But then a woman got out of her seat and came forward and told the congregation that she was the victim and that she was just 16 years old when the alleged sexual assault happened, and the entire episode was caught on camera and has since had a million views on Facebook alone. So what's been the fallout from this event? Well, Lowe resigned, as I said, from New Life Christian Fellowship and World Outreach on May 23rd, the very next day, and the Kosciuszko County Prosecutor's Office said that it was now investigating the matter as a possible criminal offense. Warren, let's look at one more story before our next break. It's the story of pastors and the challenges they face. Yeah, apathy and a lack of commitment are among the biggest challenges that pastors say they face. But churchgoers with strong opinions also present a challenge as well. That is according to a survey of Protestant ministers. For the 2022 Greatest Needs of Pastors study, LifeWay Research interviewed 200 U.S. Protestant pastors and surveyed an additional 1,000. Yeah, and more than one-fifth of them, about 22%, said that people dynamics were the most challenging issue that they faced or the one that required the most attention. Skill development came in at 23%, one percentage point more, and that was the greatest need that they identified. Young pastors were the most likely to say that they face challenging people issues in their church. Three out of four of the pastors surveyed cited apathy or a lack of commitment as their top people challenge. Evangelical pastors were more likely than mainline pastors to say that apathy was a problem, which is kind of interesting. And pastors 65 and older were more likely than younger pastors to say so. On the other hand, the survey suggests that it is also possible to care too much. Yeah, that's right. Close to half, 48% of the pastors surveyed, said that caring too much and caring for the wrong things, it might be a better way to put this, having strong opinions about non-essential issues in the church, such as politics, created the most difficulty for them. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? A quick search of the Ministry Watch website pulls up dozens of recent articles about lawsuits filed by Christians against other Christians. I thought that was interesting, so I asked our Texas-based reporter, Kim Roberts, to look into this phenomenon. What did she find? Well, she found that definitive data are not available, but they're do seem to be more lawsuits involving Christians on Christians, uh, lawsuits related to defamation, discrimination, and divorce. Some involve serious allegations of sexual abuse and a lack of proper screening of volunteers has also generated some lawsuits. Can you give me some examples? Well, McLean Bible Church, a large church in Northern Virginia, is involved in a case right now asking a court to order that church elections be redone. Liberty University sued its former president, Jerry Falwell Jr., for breach of contract and conspiracy. And, of course, the lawsuit we mentioned earlier, a judge has ordered that plaintiffs can sue Ravi Zacharias International Ministries to recover their donated money. These lawsuits raise the question about the appropriateness for Christians filing lawsuits against other Christians in secular courts in light of scriptural admonitions, like the one in 1 Corinthians 6, which cautions believers against seeking resolution of their disputes before the ungodly. Yeah, that's right. But that verse, we should say, is a caution, not a command. So I asked Kim Roberts, who is not only a reporter for us, but also a lawyer herself, to look into the issue. And we got her excellent story up on the website now. I recommend it to anyone who is concerned about this issue. Our bottom line here at Ministry Watch, the courts should be a last resort. But they should also not be off limits for Christians if they can help right a wrong or correct an injustice. And we've added a new feature on the Ministry Watch website. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, a couple of years ago, I started getting these emails from a lawyer named Don Kramer. He's an expert on nonprofit law, and each week he would ask a legal question related to nonprofits, and then he would answer it. You know, at first I thought this was sort of a marketing email, maybe spam or whatever, but then I actually started reading the questions and his answers, and they were really relevant to Christian nonprofits, and his answers were actual answers. They were really helpful. Uh, so I reached out to him and asked if we could post uh, this question of the week on the Ministry Watch website. He graciously said yes, and this week we have the first one of what I hope will be a weekly feature on the site. So what's the first question? Can a nonprofit give its assets away? That's a question that has been a part of at least two stories we've done this week alone. Yeah, that's right. The Ravi Zacharias International Ministry story and Canacook Ministries, which we didn't talk about on the podcast, but which you can find on our website this week, have both walked right up to the legal line on this issue. So it's an issue that I wanted to explore, and Don Kramer's answer is, in fact, really helpful in this regard. So what was the answer? 
Well, to read the full answer, go to the Ministry Watch website and see it there. But the short version is this. A nonprofit can give assets only to another nonprofit and only with the approval of the board. Those assets can't be used to enrich the executives of the nonprofit. That's called private inurement, and it's illegal. And who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, a ministry called Opportunity International, they do microfinancing, uh, mostly in Africa, and they've had some good success over the years, but they've seen a significant drop in revenue recently, and we took a closer look. And what ministries did Christina Darnell highlight in her Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, Christian Health Service Corps uh, operates a therapeutic refeeding program at a hospital in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They serve an average of 200 children that are at risk of dying for malnutrition. The program is called Labor of Love. And uh, I should add that the Christian Health Service Corps is one of the top rated ministries in the Ministry Watch database. They have a five-star financial efficiency rating, an A-transparency grade, and a donor confidence score of 95%, uh, which is about as good as you can get. I should also mention that Christina highlighted Blessings International. Uh, They've supplied medicine to the Dar Foundation in Lviv in western Ukraine uh, to serve 120,000 people. Uh, The shipments uh, include oncology medications that will be distributed to the National Cancer Institute in Kiev. Blessings International has three stars in our financial efficiency rating system, which is not as good as five, of course, but still pretty good. An A transparency grade and also has a donor confidence score of 95, a ministry that you can give to with confidence. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, at the risk of yet more shameless self-promotion, which I did in the first segment, I want to mention that I was in Chicago last week to speak to the Restore Conference hosted by uh, the Royce Report and Judson University. I spoke on how to avoid financial and governance disasters. You can read that speech by going to the Ministry Watch website. We've posted it right there on the front page. And I also want you to know that this program wouldn't exist without the support of people like you. We take no money for the ministries we cover. We don't charge a subscription to have a paywall. We're 100% donor supported. We're getting toward the end of this month and also towards the end of our fiscal year, which is June 30th. So I'm not embarrassed to tell you that we're running a few thousand dollars behind our budget for the year so far. Not a disaster, but definitely a slowdown. So if you would like to help us finish the year on track, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Or if you prefer to give via text, then you can text at Ministry Watch to 52014. Again, that's at Ministry Watch to 52014. Anything else? Just my weekly reminder that if you have a story that you'd like for us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, please email us. Our email is info at ministrywatch.com, and we would love to dig into story ideas that we might get from you. And a reminder to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us. It's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support Ministry Watch. 
The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Steich, Donald Kramer, Kim Roberts, Adele M. Banks, Yonat Shimron, Bob Smetana, Rod Pitzer, and Christina Darnell. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.